Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechEU. I am your host, Andrew Degler. Today, I would like to play you an interview with Markus Gners, the co-founder and chief strategy officer at LifeSum, which is a health tech app that helps users feel better by eating healthier. It is a great interview in its own right, of course, but in addition to that, make sure that you listen until the end when the tables get turned and Marcus starts effectively interviewing Robin for a few minutes about his takes on certain topics. So this doesn't happen every day and this is your chance to hear some of the unfiltered thoughts of our editor-in-chief. So let's check this out together. Hey, hey, this is Robin Waters from Tech.U, and I'm joined here remotely, of course, as usual, uh, by Marcus Gneers. He is one of the co-founders of a company called LifeSum, based out of Stockholm these days. Marcus, thank you so much for joining the show. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Here in Sweden, we have kind of the first days of summer. And then being in this climate, you hope it's not the last days of summer, and then you don't get, really get a summer in June and August. But very good, and also hopefully looking forward to vaccination and life going back to a higher level of normality. I miss people. I miss the time when you interacted with people and they had legs. And uh, I, I miss normal pants. And uh, I think as a business <laughs> in sort of health and wellness, uh, seasonality has not been as it has been in other years due to COVID and sort of cons consumer behavior and those types of patterns. And I think there was no new year. January is kind of important for businesses like ours in normal seasonality. But this year, we didn't have a New Year's Eve where we drank champagne and then promised ourselves that the following year, I'm going to be a much better person and I'm going to start improving myself. Uh, the good resolutions. Well, I'm happy that you're getting me some sunshine over in Sweden. You know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I think we're slowly returning to normal in a lot of places. So fingers crossed. Um, you already mentioned this, but you're in the well-being and digital uh, health nutrition space. But maybe you can give a little bit of a, a background of the company, LifeSum. When was it founded? Uh, who founded it? And why was it founded? Yeah, we've been around since 2013. Me, Hendrik, and uh, Hendrik Torstenson, uh, and... Uh, Tove Westlund and Martin Valby. So four of us in 2013, the iPhone was fairly new. And I had been in gaming at a company called Stardall. And then I had become sick and I lived in Los Angeles. And you had the rise of the iPhone, which kind of created a lot of trouble for desktop web companies. And then you had rise of holistic health movement that started kind of in Los Angeles and then started spreading across the world where sort of consumers started taking responsibility of their health. And that became like a cultural phenomenon and a macro trend that I think has grown and grown over the years. And now it's kind of, I think, at an all time high where especially nutrition is becoming a much more central piece. You have like exercise, you have sleep, and then you have the mental side. Nutrition is very complicated, and it's been a history where governments and science has been sort of discussing a lot, like what's the best diet for everyone? And now it's become a point where consensus is more that if everyone just eats better based on who they are and just improves, that's better than trying to fail at having the perfect diet. 
because it's also very different for everyone on what works, not only from a nutrition standpoint where nutrition is chemistry, but from a life standpoint where food plays a central part because it's like, it's how we interact with family. It's also comfort, it's love, we celebrate. And it's also based on sort of our own preferences. It's like, if you like broccoli, then you eat broccoli. If you don't like broccoli, it's really hard to eat a lot of broccoli and replace something else that you like. And same thing with like, eating habits it's like do you eat breakfast lunch and dinner or does anything else suit you and i think in a time where people want to experiment and try to find what is the best way to live where the way you live is closely intertwined with what your identity is and the benefit of technology is that technology is dynamic and software products especially through intimate devices like iPhone, iPhones and watches can be adapted to who you are and the way you live. And the debate was long. It's like an app cannot replace a nutritionist or a dietitian, but everyone will not get a nutritionist or a dietitian because you can't afford it as an individual and society cannot afford to provide you with one. And an app is definitely better than general recommendations in a brochure on a poster or random things on the internet. And I think there we will see growth of acceptance of software as something that actually sort of improves health and with credibility. And I think that's sort of the direction we are going. Yeah. So maybe take me back to the beginning, because you're talking about like personalized nutrition plans based on sort of your identity and behavior. Was this the original vision vision back in 2013 as well? Was that what you started out with? I think I think the original vision, I became sick and I had 40 degree fever for like seven months and was in and out of hospitals. And I got these like diagnoses from doctors where they casually said like, oh, we think you have cancer. And then a week after, like, no, we changed our mind. We think you have an autoimmune disease. And then no. Jesus uh, Christ. Uh, but they found I had a blood parasite yeah. after a long time. And uh, I had to eat antibiotics for two and a half years. And prior to that, during one of these sort of wrong diagnoses, I ate cortisone heavy dosage and from cortisone you swell up and uh, you get all kinds of side effects it's kind of like eating rat poison as part of trying to repair myself because healthcare they just look at you as sick or not sick when they found what was wrong with me and they figure out here you just eat antibiotics for two and a half years that kills everything inside you including your microbiome but you were not sick, but I wasn't great. And as part of like trying to rebuild myself, I realized that a lot of the things you've been told and thought about sort of health were not completely right. I think it's kind of my revenge on how I felt treated from a health perspective and me Hendrik and Tove and Martin, we wanted to, like, how do we approach health, but take the knowledge we have from online entertainment and games and, and consumer software, and then put it, put it in a context 
of health and uh, where and focus on nutrition and also deal with like the daily lifestyle part where we have a history of like in like the last 50 years having having these like diet products that sort of capitalize on fear and shame and i think weight has a lot of that in it and we thought how can we approach the problem by sort of playful and delightful design and try to create a brand that empowers and sort of makes people proud of uh, trying to better themselves and not have the perspective of telling people how much they're failing at life or shaming them because of where they are. And I think, I think we've uh, done a, pretty good job there so far but uh, we're still not done and what was the mobile application that you ended up developing and launching was it an immediate hit or did it take some time to sort of fine-tune find the market find the right messaging etc i think you're never done i think we were very lucky that we got out within this market during what you call like age of discovery for mobile apps like 2011 to probably 2017, you had these people at dinners were sitting down like, what apps do you have? And then you had phenomenons like drunken downloading where the app needed to be a certain size so people could download it without Wi-Fi. And like that phenomenon ended around, I think, 2017. So it's much more difficult to enter into the mobile app space now than it was a couple of years ago because now it's so competitive so you need to be able to develop and maintain a good product you need to be able to monetize the product and you need to be able to market the product because otherwise no one will know you exist and we had i think the benefits of the age of discovery markets and therefore sort of time to sort of learn things and improve things sort of step by step. And I think still you have like 70% of the U.S. population has a BMI over 25. I think we're at like 60 in Europe. So uh, I think the problem is yet to be solved. So it's like we're still working on how do we improve, how do we make, how do we drive motivation, how do we help people? And I think it's kind of cool to have worked with this for like eight years, but it's, it still feels like the opportunity is in front of us. And I think there it's a lot of constant development around sort of the macro things that surround a business where your ability to succeed it's both like hard work and talent but it's also how what you're doing is dependent on like the why nows of the market if you look at like spotify for example like anyone had that idea like 25 years ago but it's like that was too early and it wasn't doable spotify needed like piracy and they needed built out broadband and other things that could enable it and for us it's like the smartphone was the why now to get started. But then the other why nows that are coming is consumers taking charge of the health market. And you have changes in food consumptions and food habits. It's like how we how we eat and how we choose what we eat. 
And then you also have changes in legislation around health and healthcare, where software is being enabled to play a larger part, especially like with COVID. Uh, like pre-COVID, I think telemedicine was considered something that was kind of strange. And uh, I think telemedicine, how that was considered strange, if, like like one and a half years later, I think uh, is strange. Because who would think is like going to your care provider and sitting in a waiting room to wait to see your doctor, how that is a consumer benefit if you don't have a big issue. And I think the next step will be more things are going to be digitalized and how how digital and software can sort of partner with consumers and also, I think, employers and whoever is paying for your healthcare, and maybe we as society can start helping people before they get sick. Well, I think you're absolutely right about you know this being the right time, considering the shifting behavior and conversations we're having, not just because of COVID, uh, but in general, and it's definitely accelerated things. But you're also probably not the only one to spot this opportunity. So I can, I can imagine that you know, big tech companies, uh, but also companies from, from the healthcare space itself are, are sort of driving this, uh, this innovation as well, because, you know, healthcare is something and nutrition is something that concerns all of us. Like per definition, everyone needs to eat and everyone gets sick. And, you know, so that, that's a huge, huge problem to tackle. And there's some really, really big companies in that space. Um, you know, also like the personalized wearables, um, you know, whether it's from Apple or Fitbit, um, all, all of these things combined make it a very competitive space in its own right, I would imagine. Um, so how do you plan to differentiate there? How do you plan to make a special company or a special offering? I think it's like, listen to the users and then respect that if users don't want to use you or do something, then they will not do it. And I think that it is a competitive space, but it is it's very difficult, especially if you work around nutrition, where there's a lot of different truths, what is right, depending on what scientist you ask or what doctor you ask, or or if you talk to your trainer, for example. And it's like, how do you cater to different beliefs? But it's also, it's like from the bigger comp- competition perspective, like the solution to everything and like a recommendation that people often come down to is like, no, you need, you just build long-term habits and you eat better with the right level of sort of vegetables and proteins. But the problem is like life is difficult and it's really hard to do that. I think like everyone, all of us, have bad habits to some extent and we didn't go get the bad habits on purpose and it's not that easy for people to just like no i'm switching over to have this perfect life and i think here software and sort of engaging software that sort of can help nudge you to make better choices and partner with you and i think that comes down a lot to sort of utilizing technological infrastructure that comes from hardware and then putting it into sort of relatable context for the user where the user feels engaged and that therefore provides value. And I think like mobile and the development of the sensors, if you just look at sort of compare the iPhone now compared to the iPhone like five years ago, it's a completely different thing. And I think there is like 
I think, how do you sort of look at the market, understand the users, and understand sort of the possibilities you have with the underlying te- technology to create something good and they're sort of imp- and follow the market follow the different markets yeah well it seems like you've definitely been uh, providing value because uh, one of the reasons that that sort of convinced me I, I need to catch up with Marcus and Livesome is that you released a press announcement last month I think uh, where it said you had you now have 50 more than 50 million users across 250 countries I had to look that up because I, I I was thinking like, are there even 250 countries? So I looked it up. There's 249. So I guess the big news is that you discovered a new country, which is amazing. Yeah. I wonder if it's something political that is like countries that are recognized <laughs> or not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the yeah. the 250 countries. I remember yeah, yeah, at, no, I, when I was at Stardall, we had, we were very proud that we had one user in the Vatican. And, <laughs> and do you have uh, users in the Vatican City now? I don't know. Uh, pr- probably, if we have <laughs> users in, in, in that in that many countries, uh, but I think it's more. <laughs> I think yeah. we run we run the app in eleven languages. I think it's like being from Sweden, where we're only nine million people. You kind of need to go international right away. Otherwise, our internal market is not large enough to carry us. And I think we had the dream from the start to be how do we play in the premier league of our industry and be relevant and therefore like be relevant in silicon valley and therefore sort of try, we try to prioritize like work we've done together with like apple and google and amazon and also with nike to sort of use the us but at the same time do 11 languages and remember that sort of europe is something that is sort of very large in itself. So I think they've been fortunate enough to be able to become successful on both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, it's definitely been striking a chord. Uh, it's quite quite nice to see. Um, you also announced a new or a, well, the introduction of a health advisory board uh, without going into too many details about who and, and, and what their background is. But what is the reason behind this advisory board and what is the work that they'll be doing to make life some uh, a better product? I think I think it's like with growing the company, it's like getting high quality input to the company and to the core of the company and therefore trying to sort of integrate experts that have perspectives that we would not be able to access otherwise on a regular basis. So it's like working with with Andrew Zimmerman, for example, that does a lot of work with our product team. He has a background at sort of the behavioral science lab at Stanford and very good understanding of behavioral science aspect of digital in general, but also I think what is the level you should be yet to sort of be Premier League level, but also as we are a co- we are a Swedish company with majority of the staff in Sweden that we need people from the outside that can explain the world for us, especially like the US and helping us with that perspective. Yep, makes a ton of sense to me. Um, what is the next level here? You know, you're eight years in, fifty million users. Um, where 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 do we get next? What is the 
the next I step think, on your roadmap, I would say, both in terms of business and, and product, really. I think it's like double down on increasing the value we provide to our Uh, to the existing sort of user inflow, and we have developed potential to develop the freemium sort of consumer subscription business model. I think there's a lot of left to do there, that sort of increasing lifetime value and conversion. But it's also is like how do we harness the intent that comes from all of these users that come in, and also in connection to these big sort of macro market trends because we are working with sort of uh, in the intersection of like health and food and food patterns are changing and it's like what you eat and how we eat is something that is changing and we're in the position where we have 50 million users and that sort of trust us and uh, i think that is something that we could probably do more around as well as expanding on other things where I think we've launched Lifesum for Work as a new business line where we look at like the corporate wellness market where employers sort of need to take care of their workforces and nutrition plays a large role there. And I think coming from consumer as we do, we fit very nicely in because even if like in the B2B space, Like now B2B products need to be consumer grade because even if you're an employee somewhere, you're still a person. And as a person, you expect the products that you use to be Instagram level uh, as products. You don't accept anymore that someone was able to score a business to business contract over a couple of lunches. And that was the deal that is like you need to be able to deliver good consumer products Uh, but you can sell them through companies. I think there we can sort of provide a lot of value, but also access a lot of additional scale that we haven't done before. Yeah, uh, great to hear. I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing how that develops. Is there a downside to starting out from Sweden and being b still based in Sweden in terms of maybe the supply of talent or the competitive for, for, for talent, competition for talent, sorry, uh, or any other downsides that you have being based in Sweden, but also in Europe as a, in general? I think there's, Sweden has a lot of upsides and then we have downsides, of course, also besides that. Our weather is kind of crap, but that's pretty good if you want to start a, start a company because uh, people can't enjoy themselves sitting outdoors in the sun. So <laughs> we, wor we work instead. But it's also, I think, access to talent, a uh, small country, we've had a bunch of very successful companies coming out of Sweden. But I think hopefully we will be seeing sort of more interaction in Europe where hopefully sort of we can increase. We have one office in Los Angeles and I think maybe down the line to be able to sort of access more talent that open more offices in other countries in Europe because it's like we have the flexibility to move and uh, I think that's something we need to deal with because it's getting more and more difficult to sort of hire especially good technical people, good marketing people, good product people in the Stockholm market. Yeah, but then COVID has accelerated a lot of trends, but one of them is for sure remote working and remote hiring. 
And I'm hearing a lot of startups and scale-ups across Europe saying, you know, we're no longer going to tie ourselves to a certain city or region, you know, where we can hire talent from anywhere. And then, of course, it becomes competitive in another sense because the barrier is low for everyone. So then you make a difference in the value that you provide, the culture that you have within the company, you know, the size of your ambition, what you can offer. Um, so is that the same for, for Lifesum? Do you want to compete sort of for, for global talent? Nowadays? Yeah, yeah. I think I think like we have more than twenty nationalities inside the company already. But I think COVID has escalated our sell uh, us questioning our own truths. Like we historically have had an idea of like a collaboration happens in the office uh, together. Like you put diversity together with and um, things like that, and then. We've seen that, like, we have the U.S. office that's, like, completely wrong when it comes from a time zone perspective, and they collaborate really well with the Stockholm office. And I think there we will be seeing that collaboration can very much happen remotely, as long as you sort of, you bring people together at certain times, and then you build you build the trust and sort of safety and the sense of belonging, then I think you can sort of scatter across and not have to have everyone in the office. I'm thinking like like the real estate markets for, for commercial real estate, I think has been very much like, let's have giant offices in the city center. I think I think those truths will probably change and we will be going into like different way of working. I think like remote working will not mean that like me i don't enjoy sitting at home in my basement in my sweatpants i don't think a lot of people do that but you can still have like flexibility maybe have smaller offices in in different places and give talent the ability to choose it will be interesting to see how things develop in this uh, brave new world of ours but yeah, that's a wrap. I think we're almost at a half an hour. Um, I really, really appreciate that you shared your insights into Lifesum. I think it's a fascinating company. And also, I think a lot of people and users don't probably realize that it's coming from Sweden. Why would they? If you look at the product, it could come from anywhere, right? But I, but it's quite I, quite an interesting journey that, you, that you've had so far. I think it's like we've, been, we've always been this like right. Swedish company pretending to be from Los Angeles. <laughs> but, but I think but yeah, it's I, worked out very well. Yeah, it's, it's worked out well. What's what's your view on, because you're in the epicenter of, I have tunnel vision in sort of what we are working with. What's your view on how will COVID change sort of the flow of talent within Europe and the world? Is it going to become more like a, a sort of global salaries and a global perspective on every, on anything or what what kind of tendencies do you see so far thanks for asking me a question for once i really appreciate that difficult to predict everything but what i think is going to happen is that you have for certain products and certain markets you need to have proximity and I don't think everything is going to move to distributed workforce and everyone will be happy. For some type of products and companies, you'll simply always have to have physical teams. And it doesn't matter if you're working with, with hardware or software or cars. Sometimes it's just the nature of the market and your company that just, you know, you can't do this remotely at all. But for the most part, I think we'll see a shift to, you know, hiring talent from anywhere was already sort of a thing. It's just accelerated. And then now that the proof is sort of 
been delivered. We've had like a 14-month experiment, if you want to call it that. And now you can measure against what it was like before. You can see productivity is not going down. The quality of the product is not going down. Communications isn't a problem. We're going to keep doing this. And then I think the floodgates will open for talent. And I think this, this whole disconnect between Western and Eastern Europe is an interesting um, one because there used to be you know, Eastern Europe, lots of talent. They can't really do product or build companies. So they had to move to Western Europe or to the US to build their companies. But increasingly, that's no longer the case. Now, sometimes it's them hiring talent away from the big scale-ups in Western Europe and the US to go work for them. So it's sort of a, a balancing act, you know? So it's like a, a more level playing field for everyone. And from the investment side, it's the same. Investors look at you know, the quality of the entrepreneurs and their businesses. They don't really care where you're based. But if that was already not the case, then now it really, really doesn't matter anymore. All they care about is, you know, what are you delivering? What are your plans? How ambitious are you? Do you have like a traction? Do you have business that's going well? At some point, they're, they're probably going to stop asking where you're based because it's no longer relevant, you know? Um, yeah. That's, I mean, again, it was a trend that I sort of was already there. I don't think this is new. It's just that COVID has accelerated it to a point where, where there's, there's no return, you know? But, but it was already sort of happening, I think. Yeah, I think I think definitely sort of distributed talent systems much more, even though like Silicon Valley is still magic. And I wonder, like, would we ever be able to copy it in Europe? But I think with COVID and the changes in behavior, like maybe we don't need to copy it. Maybe maybe the European version of Silicon Valley can be something else in the way how it's structured. Yeah. A lot of the conversations that we were having are exactly that. Like when we failed to copy Silicon Valley already, we tried or we tried in, in certain parts of Europe and it failed completely. But we can still have category leading companies come out of Europe. So what did we get right? What did we get wrong? And in this new, brave new world, new context, how do we build, sort of how do we place the building blocks in a way that we can position ourselves for the future rather than try to do what Silicon Valley has been doing for the last 60, 70 years. That makes no sense to me, at least. What, what's your perspective on sort of digital health? Because you've been in this world for a long time and you've seen it's been a kind of a slow train that I think is picking up speed. Or Do you agree with that? No, absolutely. I love that you're interviewing me now. But yeah, we did an event on the health tech space in Europe uh, just like last month. Uh, it's called To The Point. Um, you know, one of these things with digital health is it's such a broad spectrum of things, you know, ranging from, from telemedicine to, you know, what doctors are using in operating rooms, uh, the tech they're using in hospitals to, you know, personalized nutrition plans like, like, like yourselves. There's so much in between all of that that it's very difficult to speak of any specific trend. What I do think is what you already described when you talked about life some is that people sort of want to take control of what what's, feels right to them, right? Like whatever they do, whether it's telemedicine or what the food they're eating, the exercise they're doing needs to fit into their own behavior, their own body, their own lifestyle, their own work habits. Uh, and it's very, very difficult to do that in a general way. So I think people just taking more control over it means that the healthcare industry itself needs to evolve and change. I'm sure they know this, but it's such a legacy industry that is funded in such a complex way through taxpayer money and subsidies and government and insurance that it's it's also not the most fast moving sector. You know, there's too many moving parts for it to really change quickly which I think is it's why it's such a gradual 
process of disruption and innovation. But then once you hit like a tipping point in a certain aspect of that, that chain, then things can happen very, very quickly. The same goes for like education and agriculture uh, and energy, for example. Like these are industries that are very old, very complex, very incumbent uh, driven. But at some point, someone is going to have to sort of throw a wrench in the machine and say, we can do things differently and better. But but I think that's where you see also like new capital entering into these markets that you mentioned is like, uh, education is huge and it's kind of broken. Health is huge and it's kind of broken. Agriculture and food is huge and it's kind of broken. And I think here we'll see like the Amazons, the Apples, the Googles, that they're going to go in and shake things up because I don't think it's going to be the ones that have traditionally ruled these industries that are going to sort of set the standards going forward because it's like the why now thing is i think technology and consumer connection that sort of being able to use technology and consumer relationships at scale to be able to sort of meet demand and create good products that have demand i think it's going to be very interesting to follow and going back to the healthcare industry what i also think is there are certain parts in the world that don't yet have had the time or opportunity to build a complex system, you know, where you're still sort of starting from scratch or it's very, very early stage, I would say, and very undeveloped. There, I think there's a lot of opportunity because you don't have to make the same mistakes that you've already had or in the Western developed world. So you can skip a few steps and sort of go straight to mobile and telemedicine and, and, and better ways of just doing this doctor-patient relationship for one it's like what happened with is a telecom where like for example the eastern european countries did not have the sort of similar systems as europe had so they can sort of, could speed up at a higher degree and skip a couple skip a couple of steps in the in the sort of development ladder my favorite my favorite example of this is that mobile payments like peer to peer payments and paying your insurance company or your telco with your phone was not invented in, in Europe or the US. It was invented in, in Africa, right? Because they they moved from like traditional sort of banking system, but they didn't have computers for everyone, but everyone had a mobile phone. So yeah. obviously you sort of skipped that step of online payments and you went straight to mobile. So that's where they the first mobile payments and the first mobile sort of peer-to-peer money transfers were happening over there. Because they, they, they skipped a few steps because they couldn't do it anywhere, any, any other way. That, that, I think, is one of my favorite examples. And I hope we'll see some of that when it comes to education and food and, and healthcare as well. I think, I think the potential is definitely there. And it's like technology, tech for education, healthcare, it's like technology can solve like large-scale distribution of quality at lower cost, the, the sort of historical frameworks have. And now you can go to Harvard and, and not live there, which I think simplifies a lot. Sure. And it's also, listen, there's a generation coming that literally grew up with all of the tools that we had to learn how to use. You know, the, the iPads and the, the and the mobile phones and the apps that they're using social network. They, they grew up with this. So they, ha- they have no expectations of not being able to do anything on their phone, right? Whether it's getting schooled or getting uh, healthcare, 
or getting insurance or traditional bank. They don't care. They just want digital. They want a good user experience. They want to be taken care of and they want results, right? So that's a whole yeah. new shift of uh, behavior that... Yeah, and our, and our generation that grew up with like... I had a beeper, for example. So when this generation sort of grows up and, take, and takes power... Our generation will just go out alone into the woods and die like old lions because we're going to be obsolete. Yeah, well, it's a cycle of life. I guess we all have to go through it. Yeah. But okay, yeah. we're at 40 minutes. I'm going to keep it at that. Marcus, thank you so much for also asking me a few questions. I really appreciate that. This is the first time this happened on the podcast. Like, but really, really appreciate the time you took as well. Uh, hope things are going well in Stockholm uh, for you and for the company. And uh, yeah, best of luck with the rest of the journey. Thank you very much. Thank you. And hope to see you soon in real life. Yes, that would be amazing. Fingers crossed. Have a good evening. And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, follow us today wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. It would mean the world for us. Our audio engineer is by SoundPulse. That is sound-pulse.com. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are very welcome. Do send them to podcast at tech.eu. This was TechEU Podcast. I am Andrew Regular, and I will talk to you again next week. For now, take care and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Bye-bye. <laughs>